and we built up empires. We stole countries. That's what you do. That's how you build an empire. We stole countries with the cunning use of flags. Yeah. <laughs> you just sail around the world and stick a flag in. I claim India for Britain. And they go, you can't claim us, we live here. <laughs> 500 million of us. Do you have a flag? We don't need a bloody flag. It's our country, you bastard. No flag, no country. You can't have one. That's the rules that I've just made up. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Uh, as always, everything's in the show notes, links to the stuff we talk and uh, about, and timestamps to the run of bits. You can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be talking about what's next for the internet. Yeah, if you're a web developer, you know, building things day in, day out, you'll, it, it looks like quite a normal pace. But when you step back and look at all of the things that have been like progressing for web, web people, you, you, you can't help but get excited about what's going on. So we're going to cover... A few of the areas that we think are making really cool progress um, that will make an actual noticeable difference in like the, the websites that you see every day. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at a bunch of different things. So, for example, websites that don't actually feel like websites anymore, uh, augmented or virtual reality websites, web animation, interactive content, uh, progressive web apps, which I'm really, 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 really pumped for, Joe. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to round it off with e-commerce, digital payments, uh, Web3, we're going to touch on that, and then uh, talk a little bit about the problems that the web needs to overcome. Let's get into it. So, Joe, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Mate, I have been moving house. I've been moving house today. There is all that's left is my computer and a, a mattress on the floor. And um, yeah, so I'm moving just around the corner. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, cool. Um, How's uh, moving gone? It's been surprisingly good, actually. You know, um, like nothing, nothing to report really. Just boxes have moved from one house to another, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> um, point A to yeah. point B. Yes. Oh, I listened to a really interesting. Uh, I've never heard. I've heard people talk about Seneca before. Um, who's some? I don't know. Is he Greek or Latin? Probably Latin Roman person. I don't know if he's a philosopher or something. But it was yeah. a really interesting audio book on the shortness of life. And I've decided I'm going to get way more into Seneca after this. I thought it was actually really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, um, just kind of scary but also inspiring and uh really enjoyed it so yeah i'll put a put a link in the show notes um yeah i kind of enjoyed that uh what else i've been working on uh on this uh super secret project uh i spent a week working on that which uh we're gonna reveal next episode am i right yeah that's right that's right i mean no i just gotta commit that's right <laughs> <laughs> oh Feels strange to say, but look, yeah, you know, we're going to lift the lid on what we've been doing, uh, why both Joe and I are so excited, um, and I've been super busy with that that as well too. So that's, um, yeah, definitely got that to look forward to. And mate, you, you like, 
yeah, I, like I, I can't wait to show some of the stuff that you've been working on particularly because it's just amazing. It's bloody brilliant. Oh. So, oh. But yeah, I've, uh, I've been listening to a book called Can't Hurt Me by uh, a guy called David Goggins as well. Yeah. Um, now, this is like, I saw, I'd seen this book on the Amazon, uh, like on Audible for the last yeah. like, couple of years. It had been recommended to me. And I don't know, man, I, like, I don't know how you are with like motivational type books, but like I, I see these mm. books and because a lot of people like it, I instantly think I'm not going to like it and mm. I'm not going to buy it. And uh, that was a big mistake by me because this, this book is insane. Like this dude that wrote it isn't like your normal self-help you know, you can be better kind of airy-fairy stuff. Like, this dude is, like, one of the hardest human beings on the planet. But, like, he started out as a direct opposite. So, mm. um, yeah, he kind of takes you on a journey. And the guy that edited it with him, they do, like, this podcast interview style thing to the audiobook. So, they'll, like, wow. they'll stop all the time. Like, he'll be narrating it and then he'll just stop and he'll be like, David, talk to me about this, mate. Like, this is this is crazy. So you, And he's sitting there and then he'll kind of elaborate mm. a bit more and... Um, so super cool audiobook to listen to, but yeah, like this this guy is all about just working super hard, um, not cutting corners. So like if if you're looking to have something to like motivate you to perform and kind of get a bit of a blueprint um, for like how some of these these people perform at such a high level, definitely recommend this book. And there's wow. a whole bunch of crazy stories in there to boot. So yeah, wow. oh that sounds awesome, man. Yeah, David Goggins is just absolutely nuts like ever since hearing about hearing him on the joe rogan like absolute nutter yeah it's so yeah. funny man because i'd never heard that episode and everyone i've told about this book is like oh that's the guy that was on joe rogan and i'm like didn't know he was on joe rogan there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh my but, but he, if he if he talked about even half of what he talks about in this book yeah it's a bloody it's a pretty long book it's like i think it's about 15 20 hour audio book so it's not wow short. wow um, yeah, yeah but yeah mate like so much in there. Do you listen to your audiobooks in like 1.5 times or anything like that? Oh, look, I should. And I like, I think it's something that like every now and then I think, oh, I should try and speed this up a bit. But I don't, I don't. Like I just listen to them normally. Um, like I generally listen to them when I'm at the gym or when I'm driving and yeah, yeah right. you know. So yeah, do you? Like do you listen to them a bit faster or? Yeah, I, I listen to basically everything, YouTube videos, audio stuff. I'll put stuff on either one point five times or uh 1.75 times if they're really really slow mm. but um yeah it's just because i like cramming in large amounts of stuff but you do find that you can miss things if they're relative if they're talking quite quickly yep um but yeah, yeah oh mate I, th- I think i should try Thanks. it because I, I also love cramming in lots of stuff so <laughs> yeah that actually sounds great to me there you go if only you could do that to your internet speed hey are you certain that you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show slash privacy. It's not actually that new, um, but it's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. Yeah, and if you're new to cryptocurrency, blockchain, Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff, you can also check out a blockchain basics series we did way back in episode two until about episode eight. And uh, that'll give you some grounding in some of the fundamentals about that type of technology as well. 
Let's jump into our feature, what the internet is doing next. We're going to have a look at what's becoming available for developers, like uh, looking at things that are relatively hard to build right now, but are getting much easier. Like if you look at how how building websites works and new features on websites, you know, one person does it themselves. They, they make something new out of nowhere, um, you know, this new type of pop-up or something like that. And then somebody else tries to sort of copy how the first person did it. And then somebody else will come along, write a tutorial about it. Then hundreds of people will copy the tutorial. And suddenly every website on the internet has, you know, the same feature. You know, those animated nodes and lines on websites on the backgrounds? Oh, I, yeah, like the compulsory nodes or lines that you have to put on every website now. Yeah, like so I like, ones that like that's move with your yeah, mouse. yeah, 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 like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that all started in the I same way. Definitely yeah. love seeing that on every single website. It's a great feature, isn't it? But uh, long story short, people make things that are cool, people want to make, and lots of people don't have the time, the skills, the patience to do it all from scratch if it hasn't been done before. But the point is, people are building cool stuff, and uh, there are a bunch of new techniques, tools, libraries. I say libraries, that's like basically something that somebody's already built. Mm. There's a bunch of new stuff out there, and... Um, Let's just take a look at some of the cool things that are coming in. Well, what is cool is like when you're building websites, you've got uh, HTML, which is like the structure language. It has the headings, the lists. It, it defines all the, the content. Uh, and then you've got CSS, which defines the styles. Um, and CSS is this whole language. It's relatively straightforward to learn. And everything that you see on a web page can basically be it is 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 CSS, you know, the yep. font sizes and all that sort of stuff, and CSS has been progressing over time, and the, the the features that are available in CSS now are getting really really good. I mean, you've got you've had you know CSS animations that have been around for a while, so you can you know make things happen when you hover on a button and it glows or you know changes color smoothly. Um, you've got all kinds of things that happen. Yeah, three D transforms is something you can do now, like yeah, so rotating what, what does that So, so um, it's, it's essentially you could have a let's say a, um, a box like a pop up box, mm. um, but you can rotate it. So you can rotate it along the the x and the y axis. So sort of. Um, uh, on on a 2D plane but you can also rotate on the Z which means you can sort of so you can make things sort of look isometric and, and rotate everything in a cool little 3D way like having um, you could imagine having like a an iPhone um, yep. but rotated sort of uh, sort of backwards and to the left a little bit so you can and then layer more things above it oh, it's kind of hard to explain oh, okay. in so audio like, but it has it has like the illusion of basically being able to manipulate stuff in a 3D space on your, yeah, on your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one, yeah. yeah. And it's it's been around since 2012, but computers are getting better at processing it mm. um, and mobile phones and all that sort of stuff. And, and how that. does that go for site performance? Like, cause I, I know that's like a big thing with you. Is it, Like, it sounds like to me that so much of this stuff is becoming a lot more efficient because it's it's built into the CSS and people have worked really hard on making it work a lot better with these modern browsers. Yeah, do you know what? I haven't actually looked too into how how well 3D transforms work, but from what I'm aware, they seem it seems to be relatively well supported. I mean, it it's it's very, relatively simple maths that does it. Um, however, 
That's actually a very good question. I don't have a good answer for you. But processing power is getting much, much better. Like the graphics that you can get built into a computer that you buy new these days mm. is so much better, even if you're not trying to get a gaming machine, so much better than something you could have paid hundreds of dollars for 10 years ago. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Particularly with these new AMD chips that are coming out. There's, <laughs> they are, they're, I'm just like... From everyone I've talked to that's got because they're in laptops oh, now yeah. and they're just saying that they can run games like without needing a discrete discrete graphics card. Wow, games and yeah, man. So that is insanity, mate. AMD's kicking a lot of goals. No, we must have clearly met aliens and taken their technology. <laughs> it's gone that it's trans it's 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 transformed that much in the last few years. Hey, yeah, yeah. It's what else? Crazy. What else is happening in the world of CSS? Because like we, we as internet consumers, we see. Like, we just see the websites evolving and we don't think too much about it. But there's so much of this is, like, really cool tech behind the scenes. I think one of the big things, really big things for web layouts, and we're going to see things get really good in the future, um, it are two, two concepts on uh, Grid and Flexbox, which are two different ways of doing layouts. Um, grid, as it suggests, you can do complicated like newspaper style layout so you can say oh i want you know one big column uh, one big row at the top and then like a bunch of little boxes underneath in different places so you could you could literally design a website to look like a newspaper mm. without without having to like how you would have done it before grid and flexbox would have been a huge amount of work and this stuff makes it really easy and it means that you can make complicated layouts and, and really rich layouts um, that will mean it doesn't start looking like a website where it's just like a header, the content and the footer. You can start, you're going to be able to start getting much more rich uh, content that sort of pops out of the, uh, it, it won't just feel like your regular websites. I think yeah, as go on. yeah, like it'll display mm. information in new ways and maybe make use yeah. of space a lot better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And it will make it much simpler code wise. And that's really exciting. Awesome. So moving on from like CSS, which is which is kind of um, pretty raw code and a lot of it's quite visual. Um, there's a lot of ways that the underlying architecture for the internet as we know it, like the web and what we see on all our web pages is changing as well, isn't there? Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch. Uh, like WebGL has been around since goodness knows when. WebGL is like 3D for the web. Um, you can now run um, on a web page. You can build rich sort of 3D items. Now, it all comes down to how powerful the computer is that you're running. But um, for, you know, relatively simple 3D shapes and stuff like that, it's you can you can render all that in the web. Yeah, it's been progressing over a lot of time. And I feel like Mozilla in particular who've developed it have been talking talking it up for a long, long time, but now it's really, really getting mature. Um, yeah. And then the other product that they've been talking up for quite a while, which is kind of starting to come into its own now, is WebAssembly. Mm, mm. Yeah, that, that lets you run... WebAssembly lets you run complex code on the web. So it's... Uh, um, basically, you can write in a, a bunch of different languages... Uh, coding languages and get it to just run on uh, on the web which means that you can you're going to be able to get well from what i understand it means that you're going to be able to run very complex logic um but within web pages and web applications mm. so a lot more than you can currently do on the web which is 
kind of cool. Yeah. So like uh, we, we were we had a moment last week or the week before I think where you were talking to me about storing values in memory on the web page and like I don't think this is super relevant oh, yeah. to assembly, but I was just like <laughs> it just had my mind blown because like when I back when I did actual like website coding was way way back and mm. there was no chance that you'd be storing values on um, on a web page back then but the web as we know it and all the languages that are used have become so much more advanced and there's just so mm. much more you can do and that's why we're seeing things like Stadia which we've talked about before come out as well yeah, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. because you can li- and even, even something as simple as Netflix you know like you think of the amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with Netflix and that all happens in your browser, a lot mm. of these technologies are enabling it. And the, these new things, like things like WebAssembly and WebGL, are going to enable that even more as we go forward. Mm, absolutely. So, so so where it's going, yeah, websites aren't going to feel like websites. And think there, there are so many new technologies that are there to sort of – it's just going to broaden the potential of what you can do with your web page. You'll still be able to run blogs or other things, but – the 3D stuff starting to get in a bit more, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of that later. But um, yeah, there's with the WebAssembly as well, you're going to be able to run really, you know, rich experiences, and um, it, it's it's just going to go so fast. Um, I, I guess one of the things that we're really excited about is progressive web apps. Yes. So my understanding of progressive web apps, and this is just from a, a, a broad brush, is that. Progressive web apps effectively allow you to build for the web, but then what you can do is you can you can effectively package that up very, very quickly and efficiently and have people install your web app on their phone mm-hmm. and have mm. like a native app experience, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, and you can um, – so, for example, um, yeah, so it's basically – yeah, you're exactly right. It packages up a web page and – Essentially, you can install it on your phone or your computer and it basically saves a lot of what's on that website um, locally on your computer. And then every time you load, or your phone, and every time you load that progressive web app, it just connects to the server and downloads like the new content. Mm. Um, So for example, I don't actually have the Spotify app installed anymore on my computer. I just use the Spotify progressive web app. Um, or on my phone, my bank offers a progressive web app. There's a, a progressive web apps for um, one of those um, decentralized video platforms um, has a progressive web app. Yeah, it's really cool. Basically, you could just make your website, um, give somebody a, a, pl- a little plus in the corner of their browser and it will allow them to add it to their home screen, um, which means you can feed them notifications. Really, really cool. Yeah. And, so, and you don't even need to go via the app store either. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the couple of the big things is that you can do all the things that, because so, like for a long time, people have wanted to design apps and build apps because they get so much more functionality out of a native app through an app store than they do through someone accessing their website on the, through a mm. browser. Like mm. you, you get that, you get that like home on people's devices where you can push the messages, you can send them notifications. And when they open up their app, it's like a contained experience. But with progressive web apps, you can now start doing all that as part of building your website. And so, mm. for, like, it's going to cut down on app development costs massively. Yeah, no need to pay a subscription to the app. To what do you have? To have to, you have to have developer subscriptions or something to be able to? Uh, some them? some developers try and swing that. I mean, I mean, if if you if if I was telling a client, <laughs> like advising a client, I'd say. 
never like always own your IP for your app and you know don't um, you don't really want to be paying developers for them to develop their own um, underlying systems and your app because oh, then yeah. you'll have to pay them a subscription but yeah like it's it's it just means that you can kind of pay developers once and one type of a developer and app costs like mate I like Website development costs don't seem to be that expensive anymore, but app costs just seem to blow out. Like the amount of people that get apps developed and it end up, ends up costing them like half a million dollars, you know, to develop an app. Mm, um, mm, mm. And then they've got to develop the web experience on top of that. Uh, if they can right, just it's do just it ridiculous. Yeah. Just make a website, forget the app store and paying your silly fees to be able to list them there or whatever you have to do it's just ridiculous build a web app progressive web app look them up they're awesome um and besides like you look at the the way the games go on these stores you know surely that's just gonna you know with with stuff like webgl you're just gonna be able to play games from progressive web apps and it just will feel like a regular app yep 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 and and you can go directly to the the source then so you don't have to that you, you can download it from their website um, mm-hmm. You know it's coming from the right place, yeah. And yeah, you kind of like. I just like that it gives you a bit more independence. You know, like you're not having to go through these third these app stores to kind of get all your content. You can actually just go mm-hmm. straight to the source, download it on your own terms. They control the experience. Ah, oh, it's how it should be. Yes, I, love it. I like it. Love it. Yeah. Which kind of leads into. Um, the, the world of interactive web content. Yeah. Well, JavaScript is the, the interactivity language of the web. And if you want to make interactive content, JavaScript really the place to start. And yeah, there have been some amazing JavaScript libraries, um, which are long bits of JavaScript that someone else has already written that basically helps you skip having to do all the legwork and get straight to making something cool. Um, We just kind of want to share a few with you, um, just so you can see what's possible. Uh, I'll start with Tangle.js. This is a uh, an interesting library to allow you to create reactive content. Now, this website's been around for years. I I would have come across it like easily seven, eight years ago. Um, Click on the link and just just have a look at the demos that they're giving it's really really simple but um for example it will um give you a paragraph of text um you know saying california has however many state parks including this many beaches and whatever the current budget is la 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 but then it shows an example of what happens when you make it interactive so you could have in a paragraph of text um, which has some numbers, they say, suppose an extra $18 was charged to 100% of vehicle registrations. Then you can actually drag that $18 up or down and it will update the calculations throughout the paragraph. So it really, f- when you can just change a little bit and it changes throughout the document. That's so cool. I'm literally like dragging um, amounts and clicking on a word and it changes the option and everything changes throughout the paragraph below. It's like all the values change, all the stats change. This is super cool. Yeah. And it applies, they apply this to like, you know, charts and things like that. But it's just, it's just really nice to know that you can um, just have little calculations and things update. And when you're looking at a web page, so for example, if you were, yeah, making a recipe website, um, where you could just update, you know, how many people you want to feed and all of the numbers would just update. Yeah. 
which would yeah. be really cool. Yeah, that is that sounds amazing. I mean, I feel like this could be used in so many different areas, like mm. because you're effectively just like taking user, you're giving user interactive inputs, and then you're changing all the like what's what's put out on the other end based on those inputs, and it's super yeah. intuitive for the user. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a really simple concept, and it's not even new. This is like yeah, this is years old, mm. but. It's so ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. I just don't feel like I've seen this in many places at all on the web. So, this is this is awesome. This is really cool. Oh man, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's that's been around just as long as WebGL has. So right. since 2011. But yeah, the potential is just yeah so cool. Now, but, um, now the, yeah. the next one, Joe, is something I've seen you. I'm pretty sure you've linked me things from this before, and that's Tableau Public. Mm. Mm. What, mm. What's all this about? This is all about interactive infographics. Now, if you just want to be able to make data look cool and you don't have the time to mess around in Excel, um, and there are some things that Excel really can't do, Tableau Public is free um, and it's a great way of making amazing interactive charts and visualizations with data, um, yeah, making boring data more relevant. Yeah, so it's free to download and Joe's made a few things with it before. So, for example, well, actually, do you want to talk about what you made, Joe? Yeah, yeah. I, I once made this like interactive map for a house building company. We were making like uh, web content for them because I used to work in web content making sort of whatever you call that. Um, and yeah, so we took all the data for an area. So like just downloaded all the official stats, you know, livability, average house prices, uh, the schools in the area, the count like tax rates, traffic levels, la la la. Um, and then basically just put that on the map so that you could, um, you could basically like hover over different parts of the map and it would just show you like updating data for each sort of area. Um, and it's it's just like, a, and you can do so much with Tableau Public. I've seen there are some amazing examples on their website, but if you just have a bunch of data and you want to get some really cool looking stuff out of it, check that out. Uh, and you can embed them in websites as well, which is really cool. Cool. You know, that's, that, that, looks, that looks awesome. And there's, I'm just clicking through one right now and it's, it's amazing. Like it just... Every, every like the 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 frame that it's all put in looks the same, but all the data changes um, based mm. on what you click, and you can kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and I guess that leads into the next one, which which we wanted to highlight, which is d3.js. Yeah, it's a JavaScript data visualization library. Now, Tableau is the one to go with if you're not a coder because it's just a piece of software you can install on your computer. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a web version. I'm not sure. Uh, I say I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, D3 is for making those really, really advanced sort of type of diagrams that you'll see on the New York Times website and like really high value visualizations. Um, you know, some cool exa- examples would be like an interactive zoomable circle diagram so you can sort of click in and go into a layer deeper and a layer deeper and they're like clusters of information in there um d3.js um if you want to see really cool data visualizations uh go to their website and just explore some of the examples like there there are so many cool um type of like different ways of showing data i love data visualization so d3 is just one of my favorite and this is the time to be doing it too isn't it like with all this coronavirus covid stuff going on like 
everyone's looking for like info and they want to visualize stuff. And I, I think, mm. I think this is where it, like there's one example here of a, like a, a visualization, which I'm pretty sure I've seen somewhere in the last like month or so, which was used kind of for that purpose. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, like there's just like this, this just seems so flexible, this framework. Mm. Yeah, so, so like I want to get my JavaScript way better, so I'm better at stuff like D3. But yeah. I I just love looking at it for the <laughs> for the time being because what what it can make is incredible. Um, and the good news is if you're not a coder, um, but you can do basic website stuff, you can actually uh, still make amazing diagrams powered by D3 using uh, a piece of software called Raw Graphs. I say software; it's a web app, RawGraphs.io. Um, and yeah, basically, you can just paste your data in, um, and then you can select from some of the visualizations they have and um, spit out a uh, a cool looking diagram, which you can download as an image or grab the embed code, um, which means that you can get some of the power of D three. Um, so you can do your sunburst diagrams. You can do those uh, all these random sort of clustered bits of data and whatever. Give it a go if you're interested in data visualization. Raw graphs. And is all this stuff open source? Like, is this is this all just being made by people, um, uh, like kind of JavaScript programmers who wanted to build things for people? Or do you have to pay for some of it, or how does it all work? Well, uh, raw graphs, I think, is just a free tool. To yeah, be okay. fair, um, but uh, D3, I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's open source. Yeah. In fact, I'm almost certain it's open source. Yeah, it just seems that some. I, I think it was made by this. I could be wrong. I think it was made by this guy called Mike. Is it Mike Bostock? Okay. Uh, I don't know if he did uh, data visualizations for one of those big websites like the New York Times, yeah. but um, whoever was building it, they just kept. Yeah, Mike Bostock was the guy, but. Um, yeah, it just seems that somebody wanted to make really cool visualizations, yep. made a bit of code that would help other people do it, and just release it to the world. And that is awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's super cool. And it's just like what blows my mind about this, mate, is just the amount of stuff that's been developed for the web, which is basically there for everyone to use. Like if you're mm. a JavaScript coder or you're even just an aspiring web developer, like the resources at your fingertips now to make some mm. incredible experiences it's just like it's it's unlike anything we've ever had, um, and it's mm. just like the, the 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 level that you start at now. Like you don't have to. Back in the old days, you literally started out with like a notepad document. You called it index.html or whatever, yeah. And you just started you started writing out everything from scratch, you know. But like so, like there's so many layers and layers and layers now of stuff that's kind of already mm. done for people. Um, mm-hmm. and that just seems to be increasing. You know, it seems like the starting point now for for people who want to make amazing web experiences is just so much further on. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Like, yeah. is, that, is that is that that a fair summary of where things are at? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I mean, web animation is another of those things that's just really come on in the same sort of way. Like, device performance, as we said, is getting better. So animations are getting better support, wider usage. They're getting smoother to play back. You, you, like, just go on any product page on the Apple website. Like, pick a product, go on the page on the Apple website. Um, and the animations as you scroll, things fade in and out. Like, everyone, like, you've seen them. And, like, they are just beautiful web pages. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there are loads of libraries again, you know, these pre-made foundations um, for um, – 
Now, CSS allows for cool animations, but there are some really interesting libraries that are available. One's called a GreenSock. Um, it's a really powerful uh, library for making complex animations. It's used by a lot of the top web animators, uh, fine-tuned animations, complex illustrations to get richer as you scroll. And it's still very early days for web animation, to be fair. It's only been around, you know, just, what, 15 years Mm. Which is kind of relatively not that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where's it going to? Like, how much? So, so you know, we've we. It's, it seems, sounds like it's early days, but it sounds like it's really starting to pick up now. And like you were saying, a lot of our browsers can actually support web animations. So, are you seeing a lot of change now? Is it is it really starting to pick up? Yeah, there are some. There are some. Well, with things like uh, I, I'd never heard of GreenSock until like. A, a year or so ago, yeah. and it turns out that you this is like really high performance um, web animations. Yeah. And I'd done some web animation stuff before, but yeah, from what's available there, I I, I reckon that um, the way it's going to work is um, we're going to move towards you know much uh, better timelines for building and mm. designing animations on because right now it's it's. It's done a lot in code. Um, I know that there is there are there is some software like Adobe Animate, which is sort of their successor to Flash. Um, uh, I haven't actually tried that, but it's uh, it may be maybe one of the ways that that's starting to get better with. But yeah, long story short, um, I think I get richer timelines and tools. Adobe and Adobe Flash just yeah. gets me all nervous. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Pr- pr- proprietary <laughs> stuff as well. Ugh. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. But, um, we don't need any more of that in the web. Yeah, you know, we just need easier, easier ways because designers are often really good at seeing in their head something they want to make. So things like PowerPoint are good because a designer can just drop stuff in and there's a button up at the top saying fade or move along a line or whatever. Yeah. Whereas when it comes to in a web page, you've got to kind of put put some code in and then just for a lot of designers it it puts web animation out of reach um so yeah bringing that in to reach of designers is um or getting helping designers upskill animation wise is going to be a bit of a a one to watch i think yeah yeah well because i i know recently like i had to get an animation i wanted to put an animation on a website and and you know got it commissioned and got it done but like it it was an MP4, you know, like it was just basically like a video file, and and the reason yeah. for that was it's just so hard to get people who can actually do this kind of stuff. Like it still mm, seems to be mm. super rare, and it's quite specialized and quite expensive. But you know, as as more of these tools come out and standards get built, then yeah, what we're going to see on websites is just going to going to increase in complexity mm. and in you know how good it is. Absolutely, man. And then it's Absolutely. just loading code too, isn't it? that's the other thing? Like for, for page load speeds, it's a lot quicker. Yeah, than mm-hmm. than some of these other like loading video files, for example. Yeah, yeah, because then yeah, you're just drawing little shapes and saying, okay, move shape from point A to point B, yep. done. Yeah, and then it's as opposed to a video file which has you know sixty frames a second or yeah. what? <laughs> probably not, but yeah. like thirty frames a second of yeah you know, something moving from point A to point B. Yeah, yeah that's exactly it. Yeah, great. So another thing we wanted to touch on is uh, augmented reality and virtual reality websites, um, and we've kind of we've kind of been into these uh, in a few episodes. We've, we've highlighted a few. I remember there was one, oh, it would have been about ten fifteen episodes ago now, where you could go to like different 
different rooms on the website and see different bits of content based on clicking on it with your mouth. Me mouth. It's like <laughs> Willy Wonka and like Willy Wonka, uh, like wallpaper. You know, you go and look at, um, one day, one day. <laughs> but, oh, but there is like, the, and that was like an early, you know, concept for an ARVR website. But there is actually like quite a bit of progress being made in this space, isn't there? Right, Mozilla, who make Firefox, they seem to be behind all of the really cool stuff that's coming for the web. Um, they were behind WebGL, which was the, the 3D stuff that we were talking about earlier. But they, then in 2014, they were behind WebVR, which is which was hoping to bring VR to the web. And then they sort of updated that in 2017, gave it a new name, WebXR, um, mm. basically for bring, rendering virtual worlds or adding stuff over the real world. So, you know, it... It's it's a set of standards. It helps you know detect that you're you've got a good device for it. Uh, it renders the scene um, on top of that device, um, and then yeah, it basically um, has a bunch of support for stuff like input controls and things like that. Yeah, and look, th- that that may not seem like a big deal, but VR until now, well, even now is purely the realm of software. Software really, like you, you play VR games. Um, there's VR programs out there, but like it's got to be rendered by a, a by, by your graphics card through an actual piece of software that's been developed. But what this is doing is essentially it, it's opening up the possibility of browsing the web in VR, and like that that initially will probably just look like browsing web pages in VR and having some VR support. But as that kind of grows and dolls out, it means you'll be able to have like an immersive virtual experience within your browser and probably interact with the internet in a completely new way. Mm. Um, and, and Mozilla are just building building the framework for a lot of that. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're just trying to get the tools there so other people can be turned loose. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there, there are some there are some frameworks for building VR websites. And you check out these links um, because you'll, you'll see some demos of VR and AR websites. Uh, one's called A-Frame, which is a, yeah, a web framework for VR websites. And then you've got 3JS, uh, which is a, a 3D library for the web. Um, both of those have some really cool demos on the website. Um, so do check them out. And a lot of these VR websites, you can just explore on your computer. So, yeah, you can just move around some of these demos in 3D space and it's just awesome. I think we're going to get a lot more excited about this as a like as a society once some of this stuff really starts taking off and once people have the the tools to interact with it because I think mm. we're still we're kind of we haven't had that iPhone moment yet for VR or AF- mm. AR where mm. you know enough people are buying the hardware so mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> RIP Google glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Taken too soon before that time. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Uh, and then Amazon, they've been smashing it. Like, yeah, kept their yep. warehouses open, an essential thing. All the regular shops are going out of business and stuff, but uh, Amazon have absolutely smashed it. Yeah, mate. Well, they've they've just been the shipping more than they ever have. AWS has been going from strength to strength with all this mm. stuff going on as well, and uh, that's just a start. Like we've we've talked about Amazon before, and their kind of move towards VR um, back in. Like July 2018 in episode 23, we covered it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was we were talking awesome. about their like VR kiosks in Indian shopping malls. And we covered one of their other um, products too, I think, back then as well. Sumerian or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, it was just it was really cool to see. Basically, they just um, they they allowed you to browse this like virtual world and see all of these random pro- like all of these products that you could actually buy in an uh, in a virtual world. So you know you wouldn't just it wasn't like you're walking into a shop, but you'd suddenly be on a hot air balloon ride and yeah, you know, seeing all these. Pro- it's just crazy. Like, and that was 2018. So yeah, yeah and they had people like. Up that uploading their biometrics and then trying on clothes in VR so you kind of look wow. down and see what it actually looked like and wow. how it would fit and yeah like I think I think if you if you had have taken what's going on right now and kind of pushed it forward five years I think a lot more people would be will be shopping in those kinds of environments um, not feeling like they have to go to the store anymore because mm. yeah Amazon are working on building super super immersive experiences. Uh, with some of their software and I just pulled up the Sumerian site just now and uh, it looks like they've been doing a lot more uh, with that as well and their goal with that which kind of fits in really well with what we're talking about is to make it as easy as possible for developers to design, develop, publish and refresh VR environments just within Mm. the browser. So, they're Mm. really focused on the browser as well. Wow. Um, That's... I need to check out Sumerian again. Yeah, so I mean, you take that and you apply it to, to to shopping experiences and like purchasing experiences as well. Um, there's so many ways you can go with that because you can just get more and more tactile with what people are seeing and how they're interacting with products. Wow! Which for for guys, people like Amazon and people like Shopify, oh, perfect. Winner, 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 chicken dinner. And speaking of uh, buying things online, digital payments. Uh, you 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 remember like ten years ago being able to, like buying stuff on your phone was pretty tricky. Yeah, and then Amazon had like an optimized mobile website and stuff like that. But you know you'd have to plug in your card details and all that. But you know now you've got like it just seems to be so much easier on your phone. You know you have your PayPal installed and it just pops you across to PayPal and click buy or you know yeah. Even saved in your browser, you've got your card details just saved there. But no, you're completely right, mate. Like the the, the web payments API has made um, doing payments super, super, super easy. Um, mm. And that's a lot of the the infrastructure that cryptocurrencies are now building upon. You know, and people are starting to support um, crypto and Bitcoin payments through is those rails that have been put down in the last ten years. Mm, mm, yes, yeah. so there's there's future potential support for uh, cryptocurrencies in this like web payments API, which is pretty cool. Um, so you know, what does that mean? You might be able to eventually have smooth pop ups, you know, to the wallets on your phone when you need to make a payment on a website. Um, I guess you have got to watch that space, but it's just kind of interesting to see it blossom. So many different payment mechanisms. You've seen Afterpay and. Mm. And all those other things kick off and afterpay shares. Imagine if you'd bought them before Corona. Holy. Yeah. There's also, I mean, we've followed a trend from like one of our first episodes almost, I think, uh, of Web3 as well, which is basically blockchain for the internet. That's That's been something that people, particularly in the, I think in the Ethereum community, have been talking about for a long time. But mm. what what is Web3, first of all, Joe? For those people that weren't with us at the very beginning when we started this crazy ride, what, what what's the idea behind it? Well, I guess you've got to track back to Web1. Web1, 1.0, was just like read-only web, so you could just go to a web page and read something. Um, and you could click links, go to another web page. That was basically it. Web2.0 was like what the read-write web, so... 
you could read stuff and you could interact, like, you know, post um, your a picture of your lunch to Facebook or whatever else. That's that's the whole, like, read-write. Web 3 is the idea of read, write, and trust. So verifiable information so using the like using blockchain um, technology um, or you may, and making blockchain applications accessible via the internet so yeah. verifiable data um, so that you know that what you're interacting with is is checkable and valid mm. um, so yeah that's that's the the basic idea of uh, web 3.0 yeah yeah like the idea is basically that you can you can effectively get the 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 website layer to talk to and interact with the blockchain layer and you know where where they meet in that middle point you'll be able to do some really interesting and um and and potentially super effective things so uh, I know for a lot of the Ethereum guys, it's about you know having smart contracts, kind of have native support within websites. Um, Decentraland are actually doing this uh, to, yeah. to, to quite a large extent, where you know they've got a, a virtual world that exists within the browser, and they've integrated you know Ethereum-based um, payments, uh, land transactions, all sorts of other bits and pieces within that system. Um, and you know, basically, they say, well, you can trust this because it's you, you, if you buy land in here, you own it irrevocably because it's on the blockchain. So we can't we can't take it off you. Um, we can we can uh, take support away and everything else, but like your your actual ownership will always be there. So wow. Um, and there's all sorts of different bit ways that people are seeing that happen. Um, not necessarily convinced it's going to be the, the, the biggest thing at the yeah. moment. Like where, yeah. like, where are you at with your thinking on that one, mate? Right. Well, I feel like it's there's definitely a place for having the, the trust and the, the smart contracts plugged into the web. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't feel like that's that really deserves the whole, like, Web 3.0 thing. I think they've just sort of taken the – they've just sort of co-opted the name. Um, yeah. Web three, you know, could just well, but could well just be like AR internet experiences or something like that. That would feel to me more like a Web three. Um, yep. I feel like making agreements and verifiable information probably isn't isn't as groundbreaking as it might come across. I think it will just be one of those things that naturally becomes a part of the web, but isn't going to be on every website you see. It's not like every web page you go is going to say, this web page has been verified on the Ethereum blockchain. I think it will just... Look, when you interact with, you know, maybe with a, you know, your mortgage company or um, you know, you're doing a legal agreement, it could like start coming in there you know, smoothly-ish but... uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't think. I don't think it deserves the Web three moniker. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think people of like when they're talking about the problems with the internet or the things they'd like to see. I don't think number one on that <laughs> list is trust. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like read write. I get it. Like that's you know that's big. That's <clears throat> big big time stuff because that opened huge amounts of functionality. But trust, like, mm-hmm. is is it is that kind of like a solution looking for a problem? You know, it's it's good marketing. I yeah, I think mm. you're completely right. It's mm. good marketing, but um, yeah, I, I I agree, mate. Interactive experiences for me, I think for most users, they'd say that's you know way more of a big deal than some mm. blockchain integration. Yeah, know. that and memes, like yes, yeah. like if oh, they mate, Web three point is for it. Ooh, I wonder what that, that even look like. 
It'd probably look just as bad as 2D Reddit. <laughs> Reddit is great, but it's just, yeah, it's it's not. What do you access your Reddit on? Do you have a, like a phone app that you use? Yeah, I use Slide on my mobile. Oh, okay. And I yep. don't really access Reddit on my desktop. I barely no, access it on I. my mobile I, I feel either. like I'm in the same. I feel like I'm in the same boat. Like I use Joey is the one I use. Joey. Um, super nice app. Super like you can kind of customize it however you want. It makes it actually makes Reddit look kind of nice, which is awesome. Um, huh. But yeah, I, I, I basically just use my phone as well. Yeah, I don't really use the desktop app. I think Reddit yeah. lends itself really well to a phone based experience. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can kind of slide across sub subreddits and yeah. Oh, didn't Reddit bring in? Uh, didn't they bring in some tokens the other week where it was like some subreddits had their own. Oh, Ethereum tokens yeah, or something. I think they may have. There's there's so many different like reward systems now on Reddit. It's super hard to keep track of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see people getting gold, and then you see them getting silver, and then they get other things. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, yeah. I'm confused. You know, I'm you know, like confused. you know, a post has made it to the front page when there's like 20 different little things on it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not just oh, gold and so silver. True. It's like there's like a. There's like a snake and then like a pencil. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Mr. Clippy. Uh, uh, a whole lot. Mr. Clippy. So just before we kind of jump off the, the Web3 bandwagon, um, uh, IPFS, like, uh, like I, I don't know if, if it, who's come across IPFS before who's listening, but like IPFS is this super ambitious pro- project that's basically like trying to get everything stored like for the web or a lot of the web stored peer-to-peer so basically wow. the idea is you kind of decentralize um the web essentially and you'd have like peer-to-peer storage that you could use um mm-hmm. have you come across this mate like have you have you looked much into ipfs i've i've seen it in a couple of places here and there and i think we covered it years back but i haven't really checked in on it that recently i'm pretty sure i came across like i've come across a couple of files in the last year that have been on ipfs yep. but i haven't seen much of it what, what about you um I, so i i think i downloaded like i think it was vinar mani's book actually like ages ago i think that was on mm. ipfs and it didn't actually work the first time oh. i tried to use it and then the link got fixed and it did work um but no i haven't come across it much either um i don't know whether that's because I haven't realized that I've been using it. Like I'm not, I, I, I don't know whether it's, whether it's uh, supported in the browser or, or how that works, but yeah, I think it's still mm. quite a way off, but it's a, it's a very ambitious project. So, uh, so, so I guess like, what are the challenges um, around and the big blockers for making a lot of this stuff happen? Because 3d content, 3d content is that, that takes up a huge amount of space yeah. you know, and loading video. You've got people streaming 4K and 8K video by accident. We, one of our mates actually messaged us being like, oh, I've used up most of my bandwidth for the month because turns out Netflix was set to stream in 4K by default. That really goes to show like there's, we got a ways to go you yeah. know, where you have, what, 500 gigabyte caps on your data and stuff like that. And yeah, what, what are some of the big challenges and uh, that, that we have for the internet? Yeah, well, I mean, the first one is that like streaming has just exploded, like particularly with all this, you know, COVID stuff that's going on. Everyone's watching more and more and more video content on managed platforms. So, for example, year on year, like, uh, like the third week of March, for example, 
saw a 20% jump in streaming due to COVID and daytime viewing hours increased by 40%. So, like, just because more and more people are at home, there was more and more, um, uh, like, issues with the, with, with, like, these, these services were getting smashed more and more. And there's actually, like, pretty soon after the whole thing kicked off, they are uh, Netflix, I think Amazon, um, and some of the other services as well all announced that they were cutting bit rates because wow. the internet infrastructure just wasn't handling it. Like they were just seeing all their users having so many issues pulling in the data they needed um, because their bit rates were too high. And you wow. want high bit rates because everything looks better when mm-hmm, the bit rate's mm-hmm. higher. Mm. Wow. I did not realize that. How much is there? How many? How many viewers and sort of uh, or subscribers do they have, and how much do they make off it? Stats, stats are saying now that there's 330 million collective subscribers between Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. So wow. that's what, what's that about four or five percent of the world is now right. on um, Netflix and Amazon Prime, which is which is quite a big deal for a couple of video services, particularly I think Prime because it only started a couple of years ago. Um, the global market wow. for streaming services is worth 180 billion. I think Netflix last year spent 15 billion dollars on content. Wow, and it's not actually that much to spend on content. They must be making a mad profit. Yeah, they? yeah, Sheesh. yeah. They're doing doing pretty well, and you know, like it's it's just a simple model, like simple subscription model. Um, but you know, like because people are watching so many things, there's just such a need for for um, for bandwidth and data. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely, and like it's is it's easier than ever to, you know, shoot videos, stream it, edit it, upload it. I see random people I barely even know just like streaming stuff on LinkedIn, like yeah, and they're just sitting there just like chatting to their cat, and it's how all uses infrastructure. Hey, yeah, it does, it does, and 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 there's infrastructure uploading it, there's infrastructure downloading it, um, there's infrastructure dealing with all the other different services. Um, I mean, YouTube now has over 2 billion users and Twitch, which we've covered recently, like the the amount of people that are serving content on Twitch is just going mm. up quite quite high every single month and then the amount of people watching is also going up. Um, mm. And so, like everything in the world is trending towards using more and more data, particularly as 4K becomes more standard. Mm. Like I think that's, that's something that's really going to shake things up because at the moment, most people are watching it like 720p or 1080p yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But then a lot I'm of time... I'm on 480p on this internet, mate. Yeah, well, yeah, well, there you go, mate. Like it's, you know, and, and like, and, and then even like the 1080p, there's now options to run it in like 60 FPS, you know, yeah, which is yeah, more... Yeah, yeah. It looks great, by the way, but like when you see something in 4K, you're just like, I, I never want to go back, you know, but the problem is... Oh, really? So many of us <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> I'm such a troglodyte. (laughs) But 4K, like it uses like 7 to 10 gig an hour of data, you know, like, and that's optimized, you know. So for some of these other services, when they really start pumping up their bitrate and um, not having to optimize things as much, it's going to use a lot more. Um, And yeah, like, you know, 4K particularly, I think they downsized quite a lot during coronavirus stuff because it was just so Mm. bandwidth intensive. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. But the thing is, the tech isn't just stopping at 4K. I've seen, like, you've got some of those video cameras that are out that, that do, I think it's 16K um, yeah, and really high resolution, um, really high resolution video. Yeah. Um, because people want to be able to shoot, yeah, top notch stuff and then, yeah, yeah, export it in 4K. But 
Yeah, it's only going to get better and better and, and more, you know, high, higher bit rates for that. Uh, so, Particularly yeah. as we jump to immersive experiences, I think. Like, as we jump mm. towards AR and VR capability and more and more people using it. Like, it's one thing to watch a video, like, on your screen. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of, you're used to a bit of fidelity differences when you're watching something on a screen but if, you, if you're in an immersive experience and you're really wanting to experience something particularly as that we start filming all of this stuff in 3d too which we've covered before mm. um the data requirements are just going to skyrocket like if you want to sit in vr watch a high fidelity video or experience particularly if like a 3d video i mean you're talking orders of magnitude more data than we're currently pushing through our internet infrastructure holy that's absolutely wild. And that's where we're heading. You know, we're heading towards these crazy immersive experiences. We're heading towards super, super high fidelity. Um, so, we need to be yeah. preparing for that. And it's crazy because, uh, yeah, you're seen with COVID with the, you know, the streaming giants shutting, th- like, you know, limiting what they're putting out. You know, it's really shown us that the infra- internet infrastructure is just not up to scratch in many places. Yeah, and look, even in the places where it is coping, like it's it's it, like it's it's not going to be coping for that long, you know. Like a lot, of, like here in Australia is a perfect example. Like a lot of areas, it's just atrocious and it doesn't doesn't work like how you need it to work. But even in the areas that it is, like people are still maxing out, you know, and people are mm. still like all, all it will take. We saw it like COVID was they had to scramble to make all these changes because the infrastructure just wasn't up to scratch, and it still <laughs> really isn't up to scratch. But um, I mean, you wait till more people start streaming 4K. You wait till mm. more people start streaming VR. Like, people are going to be so hungry for data. Um, mm. And all of this cool tech that we're talking about is kind of predicated on people being able to access it. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Like, yeah, and it's, it's not worth it if only three people have good internet in a city. Exactly. You can't, you can't flog them your new fancy streaming camera and 32k exactly 100 mm. percent. yeah and, th- and things are moving towards real time as well i mean there's some places where the low latency is really important like mm. you know i've got you've got you know high frequency traders and stuff like that but more importantly for many of our listeners is gaming yeah you know that's you want to you know when you move your character in 3d you want them to move an update really quickly <laughs> yeah yeah particularly as we move towards like a a lot of these games are trying to build more collective experiences i mean star citizen is a perfect example of one that is trying to like effectively have server meshing so that it's all one world but you'll slip in and out of all these different kind of zone servers hmm. quite naturally you know wow. and, but it's also a twitch-based shooter and it's also a twitch-based space shooter um, and I saw recently that um, that EA they just like announced a new Star Wars shooter that's like a Twitch space mm-hmm. space shooter and, and like a lot of those types of games are it is super important to have very very low latency um, mm. and that, that there's an infrastructure problem there as well because a lot of our infrastructure is kind of held over from 20 30 years ago and and uh, and, and it's just not really built for a lot of these things that we're asking the internet to do now. Um, yeah. And it's something that we need to be thinking about, you know. And, and uh, I mean, real-time events is another one. You know, we, we've, we've talked before about um, about some of the, the, like, the virtual concerts and stuff that people are having. But it is just as simple as, like, video conferences. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've had to uh, 
I have to just turn off incoming video when I use use video conferences at home because I just like my internet just can't support it, and yeah. it just means that it's it's just impossible to ex- to go through a meeting otherwise. So yeah, it's just like a lot of the infrastructure isn't built for these sort of you know video streaming and all that sort of stuff at the sort of scale that it's used on. Um, yeah, and we it, it will definitely be more important as we get you know more interactive and we just talked the other episode episode 64 about vr meetings yes so that is where bandwidth and speed are going to be really important yeah so i think the moral of the story is like we like there's all this great stuff coming um and it's super super exciting like there is so much coming down the pipeline that is going to change how we interact with the internet how developers Mm -hmm. develop for the internet and even how we view the internet as like a thing, you know, this collective thing in our minds. Um, but the big blocker is that like there's, you know, all these infrastructure companies behind the scenes which are run by, you know, like 70-year-old people or whatever. Like they just, they, they've built their infrastructure. They're happy to make money. They don't really care. Like as long as they're providing a service and the service isn't really being beaten by anyone else, um, they're pretty happy, you know, and that's mm. and, and that's why we've seen so many issues with in the last six months with people trying to do more with their internet, um, and and like as we move into this next stage, that's just going to become more and more pronounced. Um, mm. when, when you know these companies are kind of doing less and charging more, you know, so the infrastructure problem is something that's that has to be solved to, to solve a lot of mm-hmm. the rest of this. Cool. Well, the internet's heading in some pretty exciting places, mate. Cool tech there, just not enough speed and bandwidth. Yeah. If you know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. Uh, we're on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. We're also on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show... Why not leave us a rating in your podcast player of choice or subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel? I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. big advocate for you know like the chat the little chat buttons down the bottom uh right hand corner of most websites big oh, advocate yeah. for uh for clippy clippy <laughs> <laughs> yes think, absolutely think people need to need to uh need to get onto that yeah 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 i think microsoft should absolutely readopt mate word i actually used word art the other day did you yeah. Is it still the same word art from like... Nah. Or has nah, it changed? it's not. It's okay. changed. Okay. It's changed. You remember has it when, changed? When Office 2010 came out, you remember that? Where they bought... Where word art suddenly disappeared and it yeah. was like... It was instead um like glowing text. 
yes. that sort of stuff, like yeah. just like a gradient covered text yeah. with a bit of a shadow. A bit, bit more modern. Yeah. 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 But then it was modern for 2010 uh, and then it sort of... Aged. Yeah, yeah. But... Do you remember yeah. when you used to like fill word art with like background images and stuff? Oh, you yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, used to be, uh, I used to be a fiend for that. <laughs> I would just like, I'd hand in an assignment and there'd just be like five different word arts all with like different background images. And I would just... Did be, I do good? Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I did better than good. <laughs> <laughs> and like t- your teacher would be like, how'd you get it to look like that? And you'd just like smile and... <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. I'm the word, word art king. You know, yes. looking back on it now, it was just, oh, <laughs> it was in my mouth. Oh, mate, how good. Uh, what could have been? Oh, mate. Speaking of what could have been, yeah. Shopify shares. I wish <laughs> I had bought Shopify stock back at the beginning of coronavirus. If only, yep. I'd, if only I'd seen that coming. Oh. Yeah, they're doing great, man. And they're sponsoring all these StarCraft tournaments now. So oh, I'm really? Stoked. Yeah, because the CEO is a massive StarCraft fan. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Wow. He reckons it taught him, like, he reckons it taught him more about how to run a company than, like, nearly anything else. Wow. Playing StarCraft. So, that yeah. is nuts. He's been, huh. like, sponsoring staff and, like, they've, you know, yeah, they've been um, doing all sorts of sponsorships and things for, um, for StarCraft tournaments, which has been awesome. So... I wish them every success. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Because uh, they're pouring money into yeah one of my favourite esports at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, may, wow. they, may it continue. I was totally not expecting to, the to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. All right. Oh, here we are, mate. I have Stroop waffles. Have you had Stroop waffles? Stroop waffles. Yes. Oh, okay. Are they German? They're Dutch. Dutch. I think they're Dutch. Ah. Yeah. Are they yeah. very, are they very serious and and direct? <laughs> <laughs> What's something that's quintessentially Dutch? Dutch cheese is pretty Dutch. Yeah. Honestly, I would say the Stroop waffle is. Uh, it's quite difficult to say, but I mean, outside of bicycles and canals, yeah, I'd say Stroopwafels and, and lots of weed and red light districts. Yeah, that'd do. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a large, a large merchant navy, which was <laughs> continually harassed by the British. Yes, and now they focus exclusively on pumping the water out to keep the keep the country above sea level. Okay, so you've just dipped your dipped your toe. And you're, you've done the initial. Toe dipping for filtered water. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Does it get better? Oh, than it's just—it's kind of like everything, you know. Like you kind of you you start off with your fifteen dollar Woolies filter, and then um, you know, and then you'll like you'll you'll start reading a bit more, and you'll be like, oh, actually, like there's a bunch of weird like heavy metals that they put into our water supply to kind of you know kill all the nasty stuff hmm. when they recycle it, but. Like it's not great for the human body um, to like because some of it stays in your system for a long time. Yeah, and so then you'll go, oh, okay, well, what you know, what do I need to do? And then you might look at you know getting like a a, a water system, and then you get like a filter shipped over from the UK or the states that like filters out all the heavy metals. And before you know it, you're drinking water that just tastes absolutely amazing, like super pure, uh-huh. and it doesn't have any of the uh, the nasties. But, but it's like a progression, you know, like, you know, because there may be another step as well, like uh, that I haven't discovered yet. You know, maybe after this, 
Yeah, who knows? Ultraviolet light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely something that some people do. But like everyone that everyone that tastes our water, they're like, "Oh, this is really good water." Like, <laughs> it tastes so clean. Like it doesn't taste chemically. You know? Do you like, have a Do you have a large list of people who come to your house for water? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. All the all the neighbors come over, get our water. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, because it's already been cleaned, you know. So like, it's yeah. already like it's not like you're recontaminating or anything. You're just taking out all the, you're just taking out all the stuff they use to keep the really bad stuff away. Sorry, mate. I'm just finishing this stroop waffle. No, no, that's fine, mate. Eat your stroop waffle. I mean, mm. the Dutch, the Dutch fought the British for two hundred years to bring you that stroop waffle, and I'm eating it with a, a sense of victory. <laughs>